Reporter Nathan Serkin speaks about the Little Food Library located in Columbia College Chicago's library, which offers free food to Columbia community. And I talked to Albert Richardson about Columbia Renegades expanding their offerings and adding new sports teams to the lineup. And then, after an almost eight-year hiatus, Big Time Rush is back. Chronicle copy editor Gabby Bach talks her interview with Big Time Rush's Kendall Schmidt, the band's upcoming performances, plans, and what it was like meeting him. In her article, Columbia Renegades Expand Their Offerings, Add New Sports to the Lineup, reporter Arbor Richardson covers Columbia Student Athletic Association, aka Columbia Renegades, decision to reinstate athletic programs at the college and introduce new sports to the lineup. Hi, Arbor. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I just wanted to ask a few questions about what you covered. Um, how did you learn about this to report on? I saw an ad on Instagram about figure skating, and as someone that used to figure skate, um, I was a little intrigued, but um, because of my work on the Chronicle and just school in general, I don't feel like I can do it this year. So I figured the best way to be involved is to cover it. What sports are Columbia Renegades adding to the lineup? As of right now, they are adding skateboarding, figure skating, and flag football. What were students' reactions to their teams coming back and the new lineup offers? Uh, I know PJ Spitzer, he's the um, current captain of flag football. He was really excited to think about um, building the whole sport up from scratch because it just never followed up with leadership roles or anything during the pandemic. So. He's excited to just build the team and, you know, come up with um, practices and games in the future. Yeah, I could only imagine that COVID-19 impacted uh, Columbia Renegades sports teams from being able to participate and meet and things like that. And I just was wondering, was there any activities for you uh, during COVID-19 that you weren't able to fully participate in? Um. I think because I was a freshman last year and my year was so much different compared to prior years with all the activities being at Columbia, I just didn't know my options. Um, I know RAs in our uh, in the university center would try to make little activities every once in a while, but I just I just didn't care. I didn't think it would be worth it, and a lot of people didn't think or felt the same way as me because nobody would show up to those and they started to give up towards the end. So I think going into my sophomore year, I feel like I've been paying attention a lot to social media to see uh, what the school offers. And, um, you know, sports is obviously a main one. And, um, you know, just the fun little things that I think um, would be exciting to try out. And then if you could suggest a sport that would be offered, what would it be? I heard Columbia had a hockey team a while ago, and because of the upcoming Olympics, I think it would be fun to have um, at least a club where it's just, you know, fun, simple hockey and stick and puck kind of things. As a reporter, what sports teams would you like to cover as they began to have games and seasons and things like that? Uh, I obviously figure skating, and then I was going to do skateboarding this semester, but the schedule just doesn't work out for me this semester. So hopefully next uh, next time I'll be able to do it and go to all their um, meets just to photograph and also interview 
um, some of the members just to see how they're doing because I know it's not really competitive as of right now. So it's just kind of like friends going out to a skate park and having fun, which sounds very interesting to me. And then um, I don't know much about Quidditch. I know Kayvon Jackson, uh, who's a photojournalist here at the Chronicle. He did a really cool article last year. So I'm hoping I could learn from him and maybe go to one of the Quidditch meets and then, um, you know, just anything I can do because I think the Renegade Sports is such a fun concept and then I like it didn't get covered that much in the Chronicle anyways. So having a lot more sports to add would be a lot of fun. You can keep up with the Renegades on Instagram at Columbia Athletics and the Columbia Engage portal. Thanks again. No problem. Thank you. You were just listening to a preview of Big Time Rush's upcoming new song, Giving You Up a No, and after an almost eight-year hiatus, Big Time Rush is back. The pop band, best known for its Nickelodeon sitcom, is reuniting for two performances, one in Chicago on December 15th at the Chicago Theater and in New York City on December 18th at the Heimerston Ballroom. With us today is Chronicle copy editor Gabby Bach. Hello, Gabby. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. So, Gabby, you had a pretty big interview with Kendall Schmidt. Is that right? Yes. So I got to sit down and interview him for this piece, and he was just the main source that I talked to because it was such a huge get that it definitely felt weird to, like, interview other students, talk to them. But hopefully I'll be doing that for a follow-up piece um, coming soon in the upcoming weeks. But for now, yeah, I just got to talk to Kendall and speak with him about um, pretty much just how things have been going so far and sort of looking at the whole process of this, like, reunion being announced and the planning that went into that and then recording new music and sort of just seeing where they're at down the line and where they're at for the upcoming performances that they have scheduled at the end of the year. Awesome. It sounds like you covered a bunch of things in just, an, in just one interview. Uh, I know that you mentioned you had been a big fan of Big Time Rush as a kid, but first off, I just wanted to ask, how did you manage to get this interview? I know it was your first story here for the chronicle right because you're a copy editor yeah so this is my first story ever for the chronicle so like what a get like for my first Your ever first like story. published piece to be something like as big as this um so that's like something i'm just so grateful for um yeah getting the interview definitely felt like just a lot of luck more so than anything else um this is a story that i knew i wanted to do coming into the chronicle because i believe i was hired um at the beginning of july and then the reunion was announced in mid-July, like July 16th, I think was when they officially like put the announcement out that this reunion was happening and the dates were happening. And so I kind of had it in my mind of like, hey, I'm going to be working for a news network. And it looks like the venue is like a mile away from the school. Like it's right near our campus. I was like, this seems like a story that could be worth covering. And so I had it in my mind of like, I should try to do this if I can. And so it was spent, fate. Yeah. So it was almost fate. I spent a lot of weeks reaching out to management and just seeing like what emails I could get and be like, hey, can I get a press pass for the date? And was mainly just looking at like covering the concert. I definitely wasn't expecting to do a pre-story like that was not in the game plan because I just figured it'd be easier to get a press pass and then just do like a review of the concert. And that was the initial plan. And I hopefully should still get to be doing that. But I just after like not really getting a lot of responses, not really being like sure the best direction to take, I reached out 
on Cameo, which is this like app where you can just request videos from different like celebrities and different figures. And so Kendall has a platform on Cameo and I went in and being like paid for the Chronicle and working for the communication department newsletter and also being an RA. I was like, I have three paychecks that are coming in. I was like, I can spend the money on this if it gets me somewhere after just having radio silence for weeks. And so I reached out to him and just put in a message and said, like, I'm a student journalist. I linked to the Chronicles website um, and to, like, my own page to be like, you know, here is, like, evidence of the fact that I am, like, a member of the press and would love to sit down and do an interview with you or get a press pass or just sort of, like, um, have some sort of communication or dialogue um, being a student journalist from Chicago. And he responded and was like, let's do it. And then we just kind of then moved over to Instagram DMs and just messaged back and forth and set up a time and date. And it was just, it moved really quickly from like the time I requested the cameo to scheduling the interview was like about a week's time. Um, so it was just crazy that it happened to work out. And I'm really grateful to him for taking his time to talk to me because we talked for like 90 minutes on oh, wow. the Zoom call and just really got into like everything. And it was he was just so nice. And I think he even like started out the beginning of the interview being like, I'm just a regular guy. And so <laughs> that was really cool, you know, to sit down with him because it's somebody who I've been watching like on TV and whose music I've been listening to since I was like nine years old. And it's I'm going to be, yeah, 21 yeah. in a few weeks. So it's definitely like over half of my lifetime, like this individual has had a presence um in my life so it's definitely very weird to like sit down and be like interviewing him not just like you know obviously i'm excited about it but it's like i'm being paid to do that like for my job it suddenly feels like the work i'm doing like it feels much more real and like legitimate you know like i'm seeing myself ending up in those places that i want to be like career-wise because i would love to get to do more interviews and things like that because it was definitely just a lot of fun Awesome. I mean, I know you mentioned uh, Cameo. Uh, that's the service where you can pay celebrities to like send video messages, right, to people yeah. and do all this stuff like that. So my question for you is, did you have to pay him or did he just yeah. do it for I paid, which is okay. like, I mean, it's like definitely, I was like, it's the best. Like, it was like $150. It was like the best $150 I've ever spent because totally. I got results because I just like spent weeks emailing different, man- like emailing management and getting different emails and trying to like request and heard radio silence. And one person I did email who responded back to me is like, yeah, we're not issuing press passes. And then I got a link from... Um, one of the photojournalists that I should be working with for a follow-up piece who works at the Chronicle and was like, yeah, I found a link for Live Nation to request a press pass. So I was just receiving a lot of like mis- mixed messages and radio silence and communication on like behalf of their management that I thought it'd be easier to go to the source themselves. And I know his girlfriend, Mika, um, is also a journalist. So I think that was kind of one of the reasons why he mentioned to me he was more inclined to sit down and do the interview because she's a journalism student. And so like he, gets he knows yeah, how hard yeah. it is like <laughs> being a student journalist versus being like an actual journalist in the field um and so i think like that also was something that i feel like worked very well in my favor um but yeah i did pay and sometimes i feel like you have to do that to get yourself in the door yeah because now like i have a contact with him and so like following up for a press pass or interviews going forward when they do drop new music and stuff like i have that opportunity now and that window open to me so i'm it's worth it i think well i think another great part about about this is that you have been a big time sorry because the pony you've been a big time fan for a long time you got into them when you were a kid and so to have uh, to have a journalist contact who is also a big fan i think it's a huge huge resource for them but a little bit more about that. When did you first get into Big Time Rush? Yeah. So first, all about the puns. I like put out a little um, yeah. piece on my social media of just like us making Big Time Rush puns back and forth. I love and adore awesome. them. So all for that. Um, yeah. So I, 
the pilot, I guess, first of all, I feel like I've always weirdly had a connection with Big Time Rush really before I even knew it because the pilot episode of the show um, aired on November 28th, 2009, which was a day before my ninth birthday. So now every time Big Time Rush gets another year older, so do I. So I feel like I've been growing with that show and so have that connection to it. Um, But I really didn't start watching the show until like maybe February or March 2010. I was over at my best friend's house since third grade and she happened to have Big Time Rush on in the living room TV and we just sat down and like I watched half of an episode and I think like from that moment I was kind of like this should be fun and then just kind of constantly saw it advertised on Nickelodeon I think like halfway there is one of their songs and they had a music video for it that they would just play on Nickelodeon all the time during commercial breaks and so I think because it just ended up like always being there um that constant messaging I just like started to catch up and then by the end of season one um, I had caught up on all the episodes and was watching some of like the final episodes of season one live and then was listening to the music and really starting to sort of find myself in the fan base and in the community and uh, saw them on tour for the first time in February of 2012, which is when um, One Direction opened for them. And that oh. was like One Direction's first time ever performing in the U.S., I believe, was at that Chicago date. Um, so that was <laughs> an experience. And then from there, yeah, I was just going to some of their tour dates and then I met them in july of 2013 on their summer break tour which is like the last major tour that they did together and i think august 4th was the chicago date uh, that was the last time i ever saw them live and so now it's weird almost like eight years later for them to be back together and getting to see them perform again it's just definitely very trippy like if you had told me yeah you're gonna go through a global pandemic and when you come out of it the first concert you're gonna see is from a band whose <laughs> music is like from 2009 2010 like i definitely it's just it's very weird uh, but it's super exciting and to i mean get to interview somebody whose work i've been a fan of you know for me i think it's exciting because i'm gonna ask maybe more of those like deeper like meaningful questions those things that maybe like journalists who are just sort of doing some surface level research may not think to ask because i've been following their work for such an extensive period of time exactly yeah like i mentioned you're it's such a resource to have a a journalist you know following your work and um as a contact who's been a big time fan and i know you mentioned a bit about you've been a fan of them for over basically a decade yeah so that's that kind of leads me to another question. It's much more so of, um, it's just, you mentioned trippy, and I think that's the perfect word to describe my feelings as well, because, I mean, I know there's shows for next month in December that's sold out within minutes. And so yeah. to me, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like, wow, like what, what makes them so special? What, what makes Big Time Rush so special, so, uh, so appealing to people that they're willing to stick by them for over a decade? Yeah, I think like... <sighs> Everyone, a lot of people have had very individualized experiences for like what Big Time Rush means to them. And so obviously I don't think I can speak for the entire fan community, but I think, you know, for me personally, I think like their level of accessibility is something that I've always really admired because like I was able to like request an interview like in the way that I did. And, you know, instead of being like no or just being like, you know, obfuscating it, like they make themselves available to fans and have those constant contacts with them. And so you really feel like you're a part of this community. Um, And they've always been, I think, very fan driven and very fan focused in terms of like the music that they write and the interactions they have with fans. And I think that sticks with people, Um, especially when you're younger, you know, to have an artist that makes themselves such a presence in your life and is like willing to be there. And like, you know, the songs and the music that you listen to, especially as you're like developing and figuring out who you are and your sense of self to have like an artist that puts out inspirational and motivational messages. I think it's something that a lot of people appreciate and just genuinely like their artists that it never really like 
they've always sort of stayed true to their roots. Like, I feel like none of them have ever really, like, extensively blown up in, like, Hollywood or the industry in the way I feel like maybe other boy band members do and then they go off and start, you know, their own careers. careers. Yeah, like, you look at Harry Styles, for example, and he has his whole solo career. Like, he's super big. And I think, like, you know, obviously there's lots of people that love him and, like, which is great. But I think it's definitely a lot harder to maybe, like, when you are, like, have that level of fame to be that accessible. And I think because they've always sort of had their solo music careers and have kind of just sort of been, like, small a little bit. I don't – it's I a hard thing to describe, but I think it's – I get what you mean. Yeah, that they've sort of always just kind of been, like, a little bit in those common spaces. And so it's been easier to just sort of follow them on their independent journeys, playing smaller venues and things. And I think people appreciate that that they can always have an artist that feels like they can have a closer and meaningful connection with because they're not put on this platform and sort of like superstars the way that some other artists become exactly, when they yeah. go solo or sort I of agree. take a hiatus and break off. No, and I know you mentioned community as well. And I know with a lot of uh, fandoms, I know a lot, you, a lot of people couldn't make a lot of good friends. Sometimes yeah. long time, long, long time fans of friends, sorry. Have you made friends with big, in the big time rush community? Yeah, I definitely have like people I go back and forth and talk to with and a whole bunch of people who've reached out to me when this article came out and were really excited about it. Um, Yeah, and I do have a few friends that I've made that I'm actually going to be meeting um, up with at the concert in December when I go um, that I've met at like different concerts or friends who I like was like someone who I like went to um, middle school and like junior high with who I didn't know was a big time rush fan and have, like found that out like years later down the line you found and out. <laughs> so yeah now we're gonna be like meeting up at the concert so I think like it's a space and Kendall brought this up during the interview how they've heard so many times that like people have made friends and found community through listening to their music and I think that's another thing that makes them so appealing is that when you're listening to your music their music it's not just you know the lyrics and about them it's about the people that you meet as well and the connections that you form because of that and I feel like we've always been or the big time rush community rushers as they're called our people have always been super open and i feel like we've always had um a really healthy um fan environment and i think that's just allowed people to really feel comfortable sharing their stories and meeting people and feeling welcomed um which is always really nice to have awesome yeah i know i feel like having a healthy community and fandom is so important because i know that there's some big artist fandoms that are i wouldn't not the entire fandom but there's a some chunks of the fandoms that are very toxic so yeah. and also kind of gatekeep the fandom so you know when new fans come in it can be kind of hard and they can feel kind of a bit overwhelmed yeah and so to have a, a fandom be wholesome and welcoming and just like calm in general i think is a big yeah. plus and like you mentioned is a big reason why there's still a big fandom yeah and i think like that's because you know they've been on hiatus for seven and a half years and now they're coming back and it's like that fan base has always still been there it's not like they disappeared if anything it's grown in size as the years have gone on because like in my experience getting big time rush tickets like it was never a fight or a battle like the way that it was you know this time around trying to get tickets so i think if anything the fan base has only grown and that's you know i think all of us are happy to see that because that's more success for the guys as they sort of launch you know this new wave of their music and starting to really redefine who they are as artists so uh, on that on that note I, I know you mentioned a bit in your article that they now have a hundred percent creative control of their sound yeah and that they're trying to figure out what that sounds like as as you're a big time rush fan and what what kind of was their sound and also i know they shared a snippet of uh a preview of their upcoming song i want to know how that preview of the snippet how does that compare to their previous uh, sound yeah so I feel like a lot 
of Big Time Rush's previous sound was kind of dictated by Nickelodeon and Sony because a lot of their music ended up on their TV show. And so there was a lot of, um, you know, sort of constraints on like the songs need to be PG-13 and be very like kid friendly. And so they can find ways to navigate and skirt around that and, you know, still write music that's like, you know, age appropriate for them is like 20 year olds is like around the time that they were like in the band and it was really active. in that like 2000 early 2010s era and so it was a lot of like pop and maybe some r&b vibes and maybe a little bit of rock but it was definitely very like kid friendly right um <laughs> and very much like you know like you think about like nickelodeon also pushed out victorious and mm-hmm. um some like you know some other shows around the time and then there's also disney channel and sort of their vibe so it's all very like similar sound and it's very like pop and upbeat and lots of like you know d- like dance music as well so it's um there's a lot going on i definitely not the most musically inclined so i'm like i don't know if i'm the best person to describe the sound but there's a lot of different like pop influences in there and mainly you know they're pop artists this time around i feel like it definitely remains to be seen like what the new sound is going to look like because there's no longer that restriction of like needing to cater to a label or to a studio like nickelodeon so they like the possibilities are endless i think one of the things i noticed listening to that snippet though that I found really interesting is that I feel like in previous Big Time Rush songs there's a very clear distinction between who was singing at any given point in time and even like in the chorus when they're singing together like you can hear the individual voices and I felt like found myself listening to that 28 second snippet like it was very hard to tell where the voices were yeah so it felt like it was a lot more blended and I'm definitely curious and that's something like I almost wish I had asked um but I guess just didn't think about um, with like all the other things that I like had to go into in the interview, you know, and also just I haven't even listened to the rest of the song. It's only a 20 seconds or like a 28 right. second snippet. So I'm like, I could listen to the whole rest of the song and there could be those more split parts. And so, you know, I don't really know from just hearing what I heard, but it definitely feels like it's a lot more blended um, than it was before. And I'm like curious if that's sort of because, you know, when you're like Nickelodeon or you're Sony and you're wanting to market a boy band, you want to hear the individual voices. You want that to be very distinct. Whereas like this time around, we know who they are. Like everyone's familiar with them and their music or mostly everyone that's listening is. And so there isn't really that need to have like those separations anymore. And I feel like they can be a lot more cohesive with their sound. Um, And so I like it. I mean, it remains to be seen. I have hopes for stuff I'd like to hear, like getting to hear some more big time rush ballads, which I think are some of their better songs. And then just, I mean, doing something completely different. I think there's a lot of room for surprises, but I think they are excited at least for like what they have coming forward. And it's just on us as fans to be patient and know that like whenever they put new stuff out, that it will be, you know, the best possible product and it will be something they're proud of wanting to put out into the world. So Awesome. Yeah. And on that note as well, do we have any idea of about what their set list is going to be like for their December concert? Yeah, so I was talking to Kendall about that, and I think they may have a set list put together, but obviously they're sort of keeping it under wraps. Um, it looks like at least what happened is they just hopped onto Zoom because I think they're in four completely different places. I know Kendall has a place out in L.A. Um, James and Logan both live in Las Vegas and Carlos lives in Hawaii. Um, but like they're sort of still traveling and so all over the place, too. So sometimes when they're doing a lot of this planning, they're meeting over Zoom and are in like four completely different places. So from like what I know, they just sat down on a Zoom call and just sort of discussed like what songs should we play? Um, and so like, I'm assuming they have a set list put together and... 
I'm thinking that's going to probably be a lot of old favorites. I imagine them playing Boyfriend, which is like one of their like most popular songs um, and probably like some of the fan favorites. But then I feel like there's room for them to just decide to be like, let's play this. I feel like their shows are not going to be as elaborately put together as they were before because they haven't even started rehearsals yet. Um, to my knowledge, and we, as of recording this right now, are five weeks away right. from the performances. Up. So I feel like, yeah, it's coming up. And so I feel like it's definitely going to be a lot. It's going to be much more quickly thrown together, which makes me feel like there could be a lot more room for improvisation and sort of just being like, oh, the crowd wants to hear this song. Let's do that. And that was something Kendall brought up as being an option. So I think like... I think there's going to be a lot of surprises in store for like what the set list is going to be. And I like the fact that, you know, it is more flexible. Like, again, it's a whole new era of big time rush. And I think, you know, all of them have separate lives. Carlos has three kids. Um, I saw that in in the video. Yeah. Yeah. And they all have like, you know, longtime girlfriends. So it's like no longer the day to day rush of like filming and recording an episode, like recording music in the studio, going on tour. Like they're having to accommodate their personal lives into big time rush, which I just think things means that things may happen a lot slower than they like normally do it's understandable and that it may just be yeah a little bit more flexible and it may not be like as elaborate like i know um for like just staging and other things related to the performance like they used to have trampolines and i think that's something they're not going to do anymore just because like of hazards and i know like when they had those um some of them got like seriously injured i think james like got his leg like really torn up um and had to get stitches and so it was like they're in their 30s now. Like, there's no <laughs> need for, like, a lot of the, like, elaborate stuff. But it still doesn't mean that the show isn't going to be fun. So I think if you're a big-time Rush fan and you've listened to all the music, like, you're going to be excited for what they do because they have the fans in mind and have an idea of, like, what are the best songs to play that the fans are going to enjoy hearing. Well, I hope to be seeing some more big-time Rush content coming from you soon for The Chronicle. Thanks so much for coming in. It was super fun, and it was great to have you in today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was great. Okay, awesome. All right, well, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. I'm here at the Columbia College Chicago Library with my co-host Nathan Serkin in front of the Little Food Library on 624 South Michigan Avenue. In an attempt to combat food insecurity within the Columbia community, the Student Government Association and Columbia Library partnered together creating the Little Food Library. Last week, Nathan wrote Peace, the Little Food Library offers free food. Here's why and how you can check it out. We're in front of the Little Food Library located on the second floor. It's comprised of two cabinets stocked with non-perishable and single-serve good items such as protein bars, popcorn, pretzels, nut, fruit juices, and more. What is food insecurity? So food insecurity is basically the, it's when you don't have enough food to prov- properly nourish yourself every day, and that can take on many forms. I know that um, the most common most common thing is um, people with food insecurity, they often have to make choices between, you know, for example, paying, uh, paying a phone bill versus eating or getting on the train or eating that day. So it's, it's choices like these that would, that would signify that someone is dealing with food insecurity. In what ways can food insecurity impact college students? In many ways. Um, I know there's a common, there's a common trope with uh, college students about, you know, the broke college students. And I mean, while it is funny and it's a nice way to uh, kind of help us kind of cope with with being broke, um, it is true. I know uh, food insecurity does affect college students a lot. I mean, if if you're really only able to afford, you know, ramen, you know, that's, you're dealing with food insecurity. And I know that um, uh, Kim Hale, she mentioned that in a lot of their meetings, 
that food insecurity came up a lot and so they, they knew they had to kind of do something to address it yeah i just know um through personal experience and personal knowing of just people being in college and food just being a struggling factor and with every other expenses that we have to pay people should have access to food uh how can students access the free food from the little food library yeah so it's the the little food library is basically just just cabinets on the second floor so and it's not monitored it's you know there's no application you don't need to prove anything that, that you need it um you can pretty much anyone can pretty much come up here and take what they want and then you can also uh, donate what you want they they mainly only accept non-perishable items so like we mentioned in, in the intro snacks uh um, clothes stuff um you know, this, as you can see here it's like juices and so anything that's kind of non-spoilable yeah yeah when um looking at the food library there's things like cheeses goldfish capri suns uh there's little like apple juice packs things of that nature there and why was it important for you to cover this well actually the um one of my advisors uh kind of approached me with this story and when i saw it i knew that it was something that i wanted to take on because i feel like like i mentioned a bit earlier i feel like food insecurity it really does affect college students and i feel like the 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 trope or i guess the meme of a broke college student can only afford ramen i mean it's it's funny for only for so long and i think you know it's very clear that college students do struggle with it and taking on the story for me was a great way to kind of bring more awareness to it because I mean I personally had not I didn't know about it until I was approached with the story and this is actually the first the first semester the Little Food Library has launched so kind of as much publicity about it you know on Instagram the Chronicle Twitter letting students know that this is here this is available and you can use this resource I think that was my main goal and I hope that I hope that I mean I'm looking at the campus now it looks like people are <laughs> utilizing it so yeah. The full library is open to anyone at Columbia. It's not monitored and does not require an application or proof of financial need. And then it's accessible during library hours. I was also wondering, uh, what did you learn that you didn't know before when covering this? I would say something I learned while covering this was that food insecurity affects a lot more people than I thought. I mean, I always knew it was a problem and that it, it needed to be addressed. I just, I didn't realize how big of a maybe problem it was at our school. And I know that uh, Kim Hale mentioned it, uh, like I mentioned earlier, that Kim Hale said that it was, it was a topic that was commonly brought up. And, you know, we also have at our school, we have uh, Columbia Cares. So what they do is they also have, um, they offer like assistance to students. And I know that they have, the My Columbia package, care package, or something like that. So they, um, they, what well that is is basically it's um, you can request it through a uh, student alert, and basically you can request a week's worth of food, um, and you can do that, you can do that. I believe twice, twice, um, twice a month per academic during the academic year, and so that's kind of another way to kind of help and support students because you know the little food library doesn't provide f whole meals it's really a snack so you're not really 
while you are able to get you know nourishment it's not going to give you the nutrition that you would most likely need and if you're dealing with food insecurity you know you don't really want to be living off of Cheez-Its or uh, crackers and so I know that um, the Columbia care packages those are a bit more um, a bit of a more a better way to kind of nourish yourself but the little food library is kind of here just in the the meantime and as a more I would say accessible resource because you don't have to request it or apply or send any information you can just walk up and grab stuff so yeah thank you so much again Nathan if you have a question about the little food library please call the library at 312-369-7900 this was the chronicle headlines I'm your host Nathan Serkin and I'm Amherst Edwards and, and we'll, we'll see, see you next time, time.